Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Humility is one of the defining characteristics of a Christian. But where does humility come from? It comes from the dead things of our head, heart, and hands. You're listening to Hometown Exiles, Humility, by Rev. Peter Yonker. Let's go to God's Word. 1 Peter, there's two passages from 1 Peter that we'll be reflecting on today as we continue our Homecoming Exiles series. The uh, one from 3 verse 8, it's misprint in your bulletin, 3 verse 8, and then chapter 5 verses 5 through 7. I'm really going to focus on chapter 5 verses 5 through 7, um, but feel free to look at both of them. And before uh, you, I read it, a little reminder from where we've been, so, Recently, in the last two sermons, we've been thinking about how hometown exiles carry themselves out there in the world. How do we live as people out there in the world? The people to whom Peter is writing in Asia Minor are all people who are living in their hometowns where they were born, but they think of themselves as citizens of a different country. Caesar is not their Lord. Jesus is their Lord. Rome is not their capital. The New Jerusalem is their capital. So they fix their eyes in the New Jerusalem and they take orders from the New Jerusalem and that's where they get the sense of who they are. And so two weeks ago we heard about how citizens of the kingdom, how they um, uh, relate to authorities. Last week we heard about how we react when people curse us and do bad things. We bless and we do good. And this week we're going to hear about a very important virtue for all hometown exiles, and that is humility. Two passages. First, 3 verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and humble. And now to chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. And this is a more substantial treatment of the virtue. In the same way, says Peter, you who are younger, oh, let me, sorry, I should lead into this. So Peter is, because the in the same way refers to something that's happened before. Peter's just been talking to leaders, and he's saying, when you lead, don't lord it over people, but be a servant. And, and you hear in that, and what you often hear when it comes to humility, a kind of spatial metaphor, up and down. When people talk about humility, they talk about high and low. So, so don't lord it over people, he says, be their servant. And now he says this, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because, now he's quoting Proverbs 3.34, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, there's that low metaphor again, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. So Peter obviously thinks that humility is important. He, He quotes it twice, an important virtue for hometown exiles. And in saying this and in doing this, He's, he's very much in line with all the rest of the New Testament authors and prophets and speakers. James, for instance, also holds up humility very highly. And what's interesting is when you read James on humility, he says almost exactly, he quotes the same proverb as Peter. So you almost have the sense that Peter and James have been hanging out, 
having coffee together and saying humility. Yes, humility, so important for God's people. Because listen to what James says and listen to how similar it is to the language Peter uses. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Same proverb, he quotes. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Paul also pushes humility. Very important for Paul. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others above yourself. There's that same physical metaphor, right? You're down here, others are above you, up and down. And of course, Paul and James and Peter are all drinking from Jesus' fountain. Jesus was the one who first and most deeply talked about humility, talked about it all the time. Multiple places in his gospel, he says, God, it, those who humble themselves will be exalted, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Humility, central virtue for Christian people. So what does the Bible teach us about this central virtue? Well, let's start here. Humility begins in the dirt. Humility begins in the dirt. And, and, and that's, you see that in the words. The Greek word for humility is tapinos. And tapinos can mean humility, but it can also mean low-lying land. Okay, so when you're, when you're humble, you're, you're lying low, you're close to the ground, or as we sometimes say in English, you're grounded. You're close to the dirt. You get the same sense of lowness in the English word humility. It's related to another English word. I wonder how many of you know what humus is. You know what humus is? If you're a gardener, you know what humus is. Humus is something that's made up from the dead and decaying materials from plants. Dead and decaying stuff fall to the ground, and it's usually a very wet environment. And then they further decay, and eventually they become humus, this really rich loamy soil, which isn't dead anymore. Now it becomes this incredible um, life-giving thing. It's really good for gardens, right? That's humus. Humility and humus come from the same Latin root, the word humus, which means dirt. Humility begins in the dirt. Okay, very interesting, all this etymological stuff. What does it teach us about what we actually do when we're humble people? Humility is spiritual humus. Christian humility is spiritual humus. Just as the kind of humus you'd use in your garden is made up of dead stuff from trees and plants that falls to the ground and is transformed into this life-giving thing, so Christian humility is made up of your dead stuff and my dead stuff our weakness, our vulnerability, our failure. All of it falls to the ground and is transformed by God into this life-giving thing. And here's how that works. Christ is the gardener. And every day we bring him our weakness and our failure and our uncertainty and our vulnerability, this dead stuff. And he takes it in his hands and he works it with his grace and he works it with his mercy 
and he works it with his blood, and he transforms it into this life-giving stuff in which all our virtues are able to grow. Instead of becoming weakness, instead of becoming shame, it becomes life-giving. And all the Christian virtues grow better when nurtured by this soil. Now, our passage does not use this garden imagery, but it does say something that's kind of similar, that's parallel in verse 6. Humble yourselves before God, put himself under your hand, bring him your stuff, and he will lift you up in due time. He will make your garden grow, okay? Let me suggest, as we think about humility and how it is composed of our dead stuff transformed by Christ, that there are three areas of weakness and vulnerability that we bring our stuff to God and he transforms. We bring him the stuff of our head, we bring him the stuff of our hearts, and we bring him the stuff of our hands. First, we bring the weakness of our heads. We confess to him the serious limitations of our ability to know. And let's admit that we don't like that. We don't like to say, I don't know. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. We don't even like to ask for directions. What we prefer is certainty. We prefer to think or at least to act like we know. In fact, we human beings are addicted to certainty. If someone comes along in our life and speaks with authority on a topic and speaks like they have all the answers to all the questions, we are drawn to that like moths to a flame. I know that's true in the religious realm. If a minister comes up in front of a congregation and if he or she is well-spoken with a good jaw and good hair and stands up front and tells you that they and talks as if they know all the answers to all the mysteries of God, that person will never fail to have a full church. You see it especially when it comes to end time stuff. If a minister can stand up here and say, I've got revelation figured out, and they are articulate, and they can put out an entire end line timeline for you and say it with certainty, their church will always be full. People are drawn to that because the future is uncertainty, and this person is offering them the drug of certainty like they know. Here's the irony. By projecting such enormous certainty those people are unbiblical in the way they are carrying themselves. Here's what I mean. The Bible paints a very interesting picture when it comes to what we know or what we can claim to know as Christians. On the one hand, there's all sorts of stuff that, of course, we are supposed to be certain about. We're supposed to have the certainty of faith. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, say Jesus to Thomas. Don't doubt, believe, be certain. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Trust me. Be certain. Here is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance, says Paul in 1 Timothy. Full acceptance. Be certain. So there's all sorts of things about which we express deep knowledge and deep certainty. When we say the Apostles' Creed and we get up here and say it, as we just did a minute ago, we didn't say, I kind of believe in God the Father. I sort of believe in Jesus and I have a hunch about the Holy Spirit. We say, I believe. There's a level of certainty of faith. But the Bible is also clear that we also need, as Christians, to know the limits of what we know, the limits of what we think we understand. And that is just as loud a voice 
Ephesians says that God is infinitely more than we could ever ask or imagine. How could we claim to know all the ways and plans of a God who is infinitely more than we ask or imagine? Paul says we see through a glass darkly. How can we claim to have perfect clarity but a God through whom we only see and whose purposes we only see through this dark glass? And Paul, at the end of Romans 11, after he's struggled with this incredibly difficult theological question about who is going to be saved and will the Jews be saved, at the end he he breaks out in this doxology, and the doxology shows that he is not at all sure that he's figured it all out. Here's what he says. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. His paths beyond all tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Any religious leader who claims to have all the answers is doing violence to Scripture. Anyone who stands up here and can claim to tell me exactly why someone like Scott Sharda has to die at 43 years old and claim to see that with certainty is claiming a level of understanding that we human beings cannot claim What we do as Christians, and we do it every day, is we take the limits of our understanding. We fall on our knees before our Lord and say, Lord, I do not get this. I do not understand. I am like a child. But I know that you know. Here's my humus. Take it and make something of it in me. We bring the gardener the limits of our minds. We also bring the gardener the limits of our hearts the limits of our goodness. We are not as good and put together as we seem on the outside. And we have to bring that brokenness to our Lord. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector is a perfect picture of that. Both of these people approach God. What does the Pharisee do? You remember, he stands up in the temple high and he says, here I am, Lord, I am pretty awesome. At least I'm not like that guy over there. I keep the Sabbath. I give a tenth of all I I have. So there's no, there's no humus in the Pharisee's approach. The tax collector, on the other hand, falls to his knees and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which of those two men goes home justified? It is the one who brings the humus, the tax collector. And Jesus concludes the parable by saying, therefore, he who humbles himself will be exalted and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Humility is the point. Every day we come before our Lord and say, Lord, you know my heart is a mess. Take it. Work your grace through it and make something life-giving of this. Humility also involves admitting the limits of our hands, the limits of our power. We human beings need to be clear about what we can fix in this world and what we cannot fix. And if we think it is up to us to make every crooked thing straight, and bring justice in every place, final justice, and leave no room for the last judgment of God, we will do violence. We are not clever enough with our hands to make every crooked thing straight. And sometimes when we try too hard, we end up making crooked things crookeder. Instead of doing justice, we create vengeance. So we bring these broken things that we can't fix with our own power to God every day, and we say, here you go, Lord. I've been trying, but I can't fix it. Maranatha. 
fix what I can't fix. This world is so full of a kind of certainty and a kind of pride that is breaking it in pieces. This world so needs a community of people, of humility, who walk through this world and are willing to say, I don't know, and I can't, and I'm not good enough, but he is. If you pay close attention to our passage, uh, Peter, Holy Spirit, is calling for humility in two directions. Okay, I've been talking about vertical humility. That's in verse 6. Humble yourselves under God's hands. So be humble before the Lord. But in verse 5, notice that the humility is horizontal. Clothe yourselves in humility before each other. So we don't just bring our humus, our weakness, to God. We bring our weakness and our vulnerability to each other. That's part of what makes Christian community. Humility that we show to each other. When do we do that? How do we do that? We do that when we confess our sins together in a worship service. We're all broken. We do that when we say to each other, I can't do this, I need your help. We do that when we come to each other and saying, I'm really having a rough time. Would you please pray for me? I need your prayers because I can't do this by myself. We do that when we fall on our knees before each other and we come to each other in weakness and admit that we need each other to keep going. I may have told this story before, but years ago I went to a seminar, preacher seminar, it was about 20 of us, and it was led by this really top-notch scholar who I really admired and I was sort of in awe of, and I think everybody in our little group of 20 ministers was in awe of this scholar. And so when we got into this seminar, at the beginning, it had a certain dynamic. The, the preacher, the, the, the leader, was we were all in awe of him, so he would speak, and then we would sort of um, drink it in, and if we said anything, uh, we, would, we would want to say something really clever so that he would be impressed and so that everyone else in the room would think that we were smarty pantses, okay? So it's a sort of a dynamic of greatness. I think you've all been in a room like that, right? Okay? And that went on for about three days. It was a two-week seminar. And then on about, on about the third day, we did the topic of shame. And the leader, this, the exalted guy, admitted that he struggled with shame and that he didn't just struggle with it in the past, but right now in his own life, shame was, a, was something that even though people thought he was so awesome, he felt, often felt shame. It was like this, he brought us his humus. It totally changed the dynamic of that, that group for the rest of the weeks. I mean, he was still the expert, but he wasn't way up there. He was right with us. And we weren't trying to impress him. All of a sudden, we were all together just trying to figure out what God wanted from our lives. It was a totally different kind of community. I hope you could see what I mean by that too. And that's Christian community. That's Christian community where the soil is humus and the Holy Spirit. This whole humility thing is not a small thing. It goes to the center of who we are. Did you know that the Greeks did not like humility? They thought it was weakness? Aristotle thought that humility was bad, you're weak, you can't fully develop as a human, you can't be strong and free if you're walking around with this weakness in you. The Greeks didn't want to ever bow before, as free people, we should never bow before another human being, said the Greeks. You should never show weakness, you should be strong. You see it in the iconography. Remember a couple weeks ago, I tried to do this imaginary picture where, imagine the kinds of 
iconography images you'd see in a Greek temple versus what you'd see in a church. The statues in a temple are all these muscular, perfect, alabaster, proportion, strength, greatness. In a church, it's a crucified man on a cross, a picture of humiliation. That's a foundation of two completely different ways of being human. In the first way, it's like life is about strength. Don't let anyone push you around. You know what you want and you go for it. You don't look to the right or the left. Give 110% all the time. Don't listen to what anybody says about you. Just fight, fight, fight to the end. There's lots of people who still live by that philosophy today. Christians begin with falling on their knees before their Lord and saying, Lord, I I know that you love me and I'm your beloved child. There's the source of my strength. But I'm broken and I'm up to my eyeballs and I don't know what to do. Here's my life, Lord. Bless it by your spirit and make it new. We do that every single day. We do that together. That is who we are. That's how we are human. God opposes the proud, gives grace and favor to the humble. We are bewildered and beloved We get up every day and we persevere towards our goal, knowing that if we trip and if we fall, and even if we fall flat on our face, our Lord walks beside us and he will pick us up and he will carry us home. Thanks be to God. Amen. Lord God, um, you know how uncertain we are at the best of times, and this is far from the best of times. You know how uncertain we are in these deeply uncertain times. Lord, we pray, we bring you our uncertainty, and we pray that that you would give us that deep-rooted assurance that you walk with us and that you hold us and that you will give us the courage to keep going, to see what we see and to move towards it and to admit what we don't see and listen to each other. Or make us a community of honesty and humility as we make our journey towards you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.